Welcome to Title Talk, a podcast where we discuss all things real estate, from title-related issues, entrepreneurial up and downs, mortgage lending, and more. Now, your host of Title Talk, Claude and Bob. Welcome to Title Talk with Bob and Claude, Episode 6 with Keith Conlon, President of Sales with Allie Beth Allman Associates. This podcast is brought to you by Texas Title University, educating the real estate community one class at a time. Welcome, everyone. Our guest today is Keith Conlon, President of Sales with Allie Beth Allman Associates. Keith is a fourth-generation Texas-born and raised in the Park Cities. Before becoming president of Alibeth, Keith was a multi-million dollar producing agent. Keith is a TCU graduate and a member of the Shelton School Board. A little-known fact about Keith is that he was a star baseball player at TCU and was drafted and played in the minor leagues. Keith, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. <laughs> we start every podcast with a question from a prior guest. This question's a doozy. How are you going to change the world? How am I going to change the world? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because of the question, if you know an answer off the top of your head, we can answer it. If not, we'll defer it to the end of the podcast. I mean, being a residential real estate president. I don't know if I can change the world, but I can <laughs> change the agents. You can sell a few houses. <laughs> a few houses. <laughs> right? Teach them how to do it That's right. That's right. So, uh, yeah, I think I'll have to come back to that one. All right. So, Keith, tell us about how you got into real estate. I mean, for me, playing baseball, uh, especially in college, every summer was spent in a summer league. So, living in a with a host family, that type of thing. So, I had zero work experience coming out of college and decided to end my baseball career literally at the worst time, end of 2008, end of 09. So, you know, during a recession and my family business was commercial. So went and got my real estate license. My dad told me he didn't have anything for me to do, but he said, just keep your options open. And my brother lived next to a residential real estate agent and kind of fell into it. That led to a job opportunity with Lily Young, who was is still an agent in our office. And she has a team. Her son, Chris, played 14 years in the big leagues. And he was with the I was with the San Diego Padres minor league system. He was in their big league club. We went to the same high school. He was older than me, and he kind of looked out for me and uh, made an introduction, and I went to go work for his mom. Real estate runs in your blood. I mean, your dad's in commercial real estate, like you said. Your older brother's in in commercial real estate. That's right. Why'd you go residential as opposed to commercial? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the main thing for me was going to work for my dad directly after college with, you know, like I said, no work experience, I kind of wanted to figure out what I wanted to do for my own niche. Residential just seemed like a good fit. I was told, you know, the harder you work, the more money you can make. And it was weekends and I'd been playing on the weekends and, you know, I'd always kind of had my own schedule in terms of how I did things, my routine. So I just figured I could apply that to business. Well, you picked a, in 2008, (laughs) you picked a great time to uh, start. I know that was my wife and I were had just knocked down a house that we were, we were going to build. In our business, it was terrible. <laughs> so right. I guess it's a great time to start when you're broke and young anyway, because what do you know, right? All you got to do, I mean, for us, it's all you got to do is work harder than everybody else. Right. And that's and that kind of when I got started, I was thinking, okay, this would be a good time to learn. There wasn't as much business good to go around, but I there was a lot of people who were kind of struggling and I just kind of found, you know, a niche and doing some leases and some buddies who were you know, starting to make some money who had been working previously. And so I just kind of figured if I could make it in this first year or two, then I would do pretty well. And I actually had a pretty good 2009 and it just kind of kept um, the momentum kept going from there. Yeah, I got in the business, the title business in late 2007. And Bob had to talk me off the bridge a couple of <laughs> times because I had a newborn and the second one on the way. 
at the time we would review all our clients would be going out of business on a daily basis. And he's like, don't worry, I got this. I, <laughs> right. me- I remember, I remember those I texts hope, at hope, night. I hope so. Right. They would always come at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like either someone's really scared or really drunk. I'm yeah. not sure which one Com- it is. Combo today. both. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So 2008, right? So worst time to get in the market. But then from what I've read is your career has kind of gone an upward trajectory and you've been extremely successful in, in your endeavors. What do you attribute that to? A lot of it, I just think, is um, is just hard work. You know, growing up dyslexic, I always thought, you know, just for lack of a better word, I was kind of dumb growing up, but I, I had a learning difference. I went to Shelton. They gave me the tools to succeed, helped me get organized, gave me confidence. And then just playing sports, you know, just I've always been very routine in what I do. So, I, you know, I still get up super early. I work out. And I just kind of have a plan every single day. And I think, you know, going back a couple of weeks ago, I got to talk to the TCU baseball team because they have nine seniors on the team about life after baseball because 35 guys on the team, the reality is one or two might make the big leagues. And for one of them to stick is a small percentage too. So talking about life after baseball, I feel like my four years of college or five years of college really shaped, you know, I was joking my coach that he Miyagi'd me, the karate kid, <laughs> kind of how to, to have a business and, you know, getting up early for morning weights and then you go to class and you go to practice and you go to have dinner and then you go to study hall. That all prepared me for the real world. So getting out into the real world, it didn't seem like a, you know, it was still hard, but it just seemed like I had already gone through a challenge with sports and school. I already felt like I had two jobs and now I just need to focus it in on one thing. You bring up an interesting, uh, the Miyagi, because I read in an article that if you showed a movie to everyone, it'd be the Karate Kid. That's right. So is that a, uh, is that like a favorite of yours? What's the meaning of, around that? Yeah, I just always loved that movie. And my senior year of, at TCU was my best season. And before our first game uh, that season, we were uh, in Central Florida, which is in Orlando. And on the plane ride, I just happened to have the DVD of the original Karate Kid. I always make sure that everyone knows this is the... DVD the, era? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's the classic with, you know, uh, LaRusso and... Not the one that Jackie Chan remade. Or right, the, right. The, the good one. The good, the good one. one, exactly. So, and I watched that before the series. I ended up having a great series. I think I was like the Mountain West hitter of the week that week. So I was like, okay, well, I watched that before that game. So then I started watching it kind of before every game, and I had this unbelievable year. So I, it became a joke with my teammates. Hey, did you watch The Karate Kid? And my roommate at the time, he was a transfer from Arkansas. He would, was struggling, and I was like, just sit down and watch The Karate Kid with me. And he was like, no, I'm not interested. And I was like, I'm telling you, if you watch. So on a Friday night, he had literally been in a huge slump. He went four for four. So it became this joke that everyone had to watch The Karate Kid before <laughs> games. But I didn't think, I didn't realize that the whole Miyagi thing, like as I joked about with my coach a couple weeks ago, is I really do believe that he is, you know, he's more of like a life coach as well as a baseball coach because he is ingraining that in these young guys that hey this is the way that the real world really is too so do you carry your superstitions to this day is that the uh <laughs> yeah because i guess baseball yeah. i hear yeah, yeah. all the people they have these little things you know whether you wear the same shirt or the same pants or, or watch the same movies yes. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so i mean I, I was very superstitious still kind of am i mean it's harder to have like a superstition before what are you going to wear before you go to the the office type of thing but i always have like the same calendar for the year if we've had a really good year as a firm and that type of thing but yeah there's still definitely some superstitions you brought up a really good point and that is having a plan, having a structure. And what we find in our business, and we deal with sales with our sales reps, is getting them to have a routine and a plan 
is a challenge. Right. So you've transitioned from being a producing agent to sales. How do you work with your agents to kind of help them through that process? You know, the biggest misconception of our business is that you're going to get in it and then all your friends are going to use you. And <laughs> everyone knows a realtor and there's enough business, you know, luckily to go around for everybody, but it's how are you going to differentiate yourself from someone else? So what I really preach to them is, you know, obviously knowing the contract and, you know, knowledge is power, but also just Anything that you do, whether you're, you know, social media or you're a mailer type or you're farming a neighborhood, whatever it is, you have to be consistent in the way you do it. It just can't be a one-off. And I always go back to, as you know, Claude, we met at CrossFit is that these people who set a goal of like, I'm going to go to the gym at the beginning of the year. And then you see how crowded it is. But then by March, those people have right. faded off. So my example is, okay, if you want to lose 50 pounds, Going to the gym once, you're not going to see an example. If you want to get ripped or whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish, going to the gym once isn't going to help. So I just really preach, and that's something I took from TCU as well, is just that consistency wins, and in the long run, it's all going to play out. you just got to give it some time, and you've got to figure out what works for you, but you have to see that play out. Especially in real estate. As you said, there's so many agents, so many brokers that are available for agents to go work with. What we find a lot his agents will move relatively frequently because right. they misdirect why they may or may not be as successful as they want to be. Right. right. So like at Friday at three o'clock trying to find an agent sometimes is a challenge. If you look at our parking lot, I mean, Monday we have a sales meeting and we have a tour and we have a luncheon and it is our busiest day by far at the office. And yeah, once you get to Friday <laughs> At noon, it's a ghost town. And I get that too, because they're probably going to be working the weekend and whatnot. But I also say, if you're not getting dressed and ready to go to work, it's, hey, I'm going to wear workout clothes today because I don't have anything on the agenda. I feel like you've already had a setback because you're going to get that call that says, I need you to show me a house and you're not prepared. So right. I, I need, I need two hours to get ready. <laughs> right, exactly. It still is a thing. You know, and I've talked about this a lot in the last year or two. If you can't look at your business and say why I had a good or bad year and really just be honest with yourself, then you're doing yourself a disservice. But at the end of the, you know, the years when people have had bad years, the first person they're going to blame is the broker. But in reality, they should have been looking at, okay, what did I do really well? My Q1 was the best, my best quarter, but what was the reason why? Well, they had a game plan and they were executing on it and then they either got lazy or they just kind of fell off and didn't start preparing for Q2, Q3, and Q4. So And assume that Q2 would be the same as Q1 without exactly. doing the same work they put in the first time. Right. We get a lot of people that ask us and say, you know, hey, I want to I want to do what you do. And the response I always give them, I said, do you really want to do what we do? Or do you want today's results, right? Do you want to have the struggles like we 2007, where we're trying to figure out how we're going to pay the bills and the rents and employees, salaries and all those things? Or do you want to get the call at 10 o'clock at night or the one at eight in the morning on Saturday or the one on Sunday at five? Are you willing to do the things that it takes to be successful? And I think we run into the same thing. You guys have 400 agents. How do you deal with that when someone comes in and says that exact thing? I want to, I want to be where you are. Yeah. And I think that seeing a lot of young people coming into the business and one of our top producers is a 36 year old guy who went to SMU and his group did 150 million. He did 60 million plus. And I think it's great that people want to strive to be him or like him and his business. But I remember when he joined the year before I did at Ali Beth, he's been with Ali Beth that whole time. In 2008, his three person group did $4 million. I remember that was my first agent awards deal I went to. I just signed up and I was thinking, oh my God, that was a really rough year for them. And then this that year. That might be one house. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Might be one house. And then this year, his group did 150 million. And 
So it's these people are like, well, you know, I want to be where Alex is and I want to be where Aaron Matthews is and these people. And it's like, well, that took a lot of time and they've got the systems in place. Yeah, it looks like that they might just get calls left and right, but they're still, I mean, you look at who's there first in the morning and who is the last to leave. It's those people. They're consistent with the way they do that and they are all hard workers. It's not just, hey, I've been in this market for a long time and people are going to work with me. They know that they're going to hustle and they're going to show up and they're going to be easy to uh, get in touch with. So there's all these things, but yeah, it's just, everyone wants it to happen overnight and just, it's just not going to happen. Right. Kind of talk about the team aspect of things, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, that's really become more of a thing. And I know for us, we couldn't do what we do without a great staff. How important it is to have the right people on your team, whether it's someone working through contracts or someone setting up appointments. We have the sales side, which we have the employee side. So we've got a great, as we call it, staff. And, you know, they work extremely hard to make sure. And, you know, the agents are, as we say, the lifeblood of the firm. And it's a scary thing that tomorrow you could literally have zero agents they really want to as being independent contractors. So everything we do is service oriented to the agent. We want to make sure that the staff is quick to respond and helpful and all those things. But then on the flip side, the agents, yeah, I mean, some of these agents have so much business, they have to have a team and they have to have a good assistant and systems in place. So it is amazing to kind of see how important the teams are when someone's new. The first thing they ask, do you have a team I can join? And, and I think some teams are, are really good. Some, I feel like just <laughs> add someone to take their part of their commission and they're not giving a lot. But I think if you have the right team leader who is structured and can give them some guidance and coach them up, it can be very beneficial as it was for me early in my career. I was on the Lily Young team and I learned a lot from her in those first few years. 400 agents, you guys are growing. What factor, especially for you as you're bringing on new agents, is bringing the right agent or the right group? Allie Beth and her husband Pierce have you know, started this company originally in 85, and then they sold out to Henry S. Miller in the 90s and then reopened their doors in 04. But they've always been very, going back to that word, consistent in how they treat people. They're just good, good people, and they also care about the community. So you know, a lot of people will talk about culture. We have this great culture. And, and, you know, even companies that started, you know, four days ago will say, well, we have amazing culture. Well, we know that our agents all, you know, they're very competitive, but it is a culture of caring. So we look for hardworking people, good people, and who are going to be ethical as well. As long as you have a good reputation, you'll get business. And, and her example is, you know, don't worry about the money. If you do the right things and you work hard and you take care of it, the money will come. And that's kind of what we look for. We want good, hardworking people who do everything above board, essentially. How is the flat rate brokers, how has that impacted you guys at all, if anything? I mean, early on when Door came into our market, you know, the $5,000 flat fee, they kind of made some waves in terms of, you know, a lot of advertising and, you know, it was a lot of negative advertising to say, you know, all realtors are older or not in touch with technology or social media and all these things. And then as you saw probably recently in the paper, they're laying off people and everything else. But I'm not saying we're just, it's not there because it still is a discount broker. But when you have multi-million dollar homes and estate homes, it takes a lot of marketing. It takes a lot of money on the front side to get that house sold. It also takes an agent who is going to meet the showings and give you all the details and target, you know, that buyer. It's not just Hey, here's a lockbox on the front door of a $5 million estate. It's just not going to happen. And we tell our agents and what we're looking for are full service agents who are knowledgeable in, in the markets. And, you know, our average sales price across the three offices was 931000 So luxury is kind of what we're known for. But the crazy thing is we sold a $12,000 lot in South Dallas all the way up to the Crespi Estate in Preston Hollow. So, I mean, we have a pretty big range of price point. But that's the great thing about our firm is 
even if you have a hundred thousand dollar house or wherever else, you're still going to get that same level of service um, that's sold multi million dollar estates. And your market. <coughs> University Park, Highland Park, Park Cities is a tough market. We haven't been able to get into that market yet because it requires a certain type of service, a certain type of professionalism, and also the right opportunity, at least from the title side. So when an agent comes and they see the big ticket items and they say, oh, the average price is 900000 I want to get in that market. How do you deal with that aspect? Yeah, I mean, every, everyone that I meet with says, you know, I'm going to sell in the Park Cities or I want to sell in the Park Cities. And yeah, everyone wants to sell in the Park <laughs> Cities. Why would you not? Um, I think, you know, growing up there, it's a very, like you just said, a very tough neighborhood to crack. The great thing and bad thing, I guess, if you're not from there is that people are very loyal to people who they know. So growing up there, you know, I had a kind of a niche with certain people, but it took several years for my parents' friends to start using me. I was fortunate enough to have some friends who could afford to get in there. So you start making traction, but it's very hard for quote unquote, an outsider to just break into the park cities unless they have something special or they just know the market extremely well. But I mean, every single person was like, I want to sell in the park cities, you know, great, but you're probably going to go build your business somewhere else and then come back to that. I'll piggyback on what Claude said. One of the reasons why we're not there is just having the right team. We do give the best service and and all the rest. But but one thing you mentioned, I think often a, a thing that goes unsaid, especially with the door or the discount, is in selling a house in Highland Park, let's say, I find we sold ours but in 13 was import as important to have the, the right listing agent because that listing agent then typically will find the right buyer, right? Whether it's the same firm or the connections within what people don't understand is having the person that understands that price point, whatever that is. So if it's a 900,000, if it's a 10 million or anywhere in between those people that are selling those houses typically have connections of people that buy those houses. Right. Having those connections and having those agents that say, okay, I'm going to list your house and it's going to be $7 million. We're going to put our feelers out to all the people we know that can buy $7 million or who have bought $7 million or maybe you've bought 10 and want to downsize. Yeah, unfortunately, that happens to some people, I guess. Do you find that people don't realize that or don't? If you look at the Park Cities over the last five years, there's been, you know, there's us, Ali Beth Allman, there's Briggs Freeman, Dave Perry Miller, and now Compass is coming to that market. And, you know, they acquired tons of agents from Briggs Freeman, essentially. So there's basically the four major players over there. And then you'll see a one-off sign of a random company. But every time that we are in competition of, well, we want to get another opinion, you kind of see that outside company will say it's worth way more to just get that sign in the right. yard as even though the park cities is not huge there's little pockets that you have to know that this pocket in this street gets a discount because of this this and that but we see a lot of people just trying to get in and say oh yeah your house is definitely worth that and even in park cities and you know the off-market sales are i mean it's a lot you get a house that comes up and we sold i think it was like almost 500 million in-house just with our agents but 350 of that was off market and probably, you know, 200 of that was in the Park City just because we knew exactly who to put in that house and we priced it exactly where it needed to be and someone just jumps on it and everything else. I still am a huge believer, though, if you get an MLS, you're still going to get the highest price because everyone has a chance to get into it. But, yeah, we definitely see the pricing where someone's just literally trying to get that sign in the yard, but it just doesn't work that way. Well, they set the expectations wrong, right? So right. the buyer's now convinced their, I'm sorry, seller's convinced their house is valued at X. Right. 
and they're going to let it stay on the market under that false belief. To close out last year, I helped an agent. She was the listing agent, and it was a good friend of hers. The wife was. The husband didn't really want to work with her because her to friendship if something were to go wrong. And so she asked me to come with her and price it and talk to her, and he wanted me to be involved in great house on a, on a good street. And it was probably worth you know, a million, low million threes, but would sell. And I remember the first email we wrote, it will sell between a million two sixty and a million three, just, but if you paint and do these things. And right. so he goes, okay, I want to get a second opinion. Well, he literally brought in a broker and I pulled it up who had sold three houses in the park cities. They told, <laughs> they told him it was worth a million four. So then all of a sudden he said, well, let's list it at a million three fifty. What do you think of that? I said, you can definitely try that, but I think you'll get showings, but you probably would not get any offer. So you know, put it on MLS and I mean, it, you know, I was on the emails. I mean, it had 20, 30 showings and no offers. And then two weeks in they're like, okay, let's reduce it. You know, it was like, well, we're going to take it off because Christmas is coming up, but they wanted to buy this new house. And I was like, telling you, if you get it below that million three price and they're like, well, we're losing a hundred thousand dollars on the table from where we wanted to start. And it's like, you're really not. That was just right. a false. That was a, r- a random yeah. number. Right. That yeah. was, you know, you, he could have said it was worth a million five. So as soon as we got it under that million three range, which we had recommended, you know, we had multiple offers and got it sold within two weeks. That's where you get that issue of you can't just throw out a even, you know, buyers in that in that price point and higher are very sophisticated and they know exactly what's going on and their agents know what's going on. And yeah, as much as I would have loved for them to got a million four, it just wasn't reality. And then there's something to be said, too, is if for the, the looky-loo that's on MLS or on Realtor.com, it's when you're putting the million three, you're not going to see that house if that's your cap. And so what happens is you miss that whole market that really is going to buy it anyway. Right. Because the guys at a million four are probably looking at a million five. Right. And yep. say, well, I'm going to get a deal down here. Absolutely. We have classes and we listen to agents and the different ideas on, on how to price things in the different markets as well. And so, you know, whether it's Frisco, whether it's Holland Park, whether it's University Park or even Southlake is we'll hear one, they're moving fast. We'll hear another one, they're not moving at all. The other one is, I'm, you know, getting above ask for it. They get in one room and they all, they start thinking, what am I doing wrong? Or what am I doing right? I often see the other side of it too is in the higher end markets. So you might have somebody who sold 15 million, which is three houses. And then you have someone, let's say in Arlington, where the average home is 150,200, and they do eight million, and that's got to be, you know, how, how many, how many, how many houses <laughs> they're selling, right? And you know, so one perception is, well, the 15 is so much better than the eight, where it may not very well be that. Right. It's for us, we like them all, but it is funny to listen to the different markets and and how they're how they're having to market each one differently. Right. As president of sales, are you still producing agent or you've kind of left that? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I can definitely, um, I'm still allowed to sell. So I still have some clients and trying to refer things out and then, you know, close family, friends. Right. I'm involved. I've, I'm trying not to put my name on a sign just so the agent can do that. But, you know, one recently good friend of mine, he was selling his house and I sold to him a couple of years ago and helped the agent price it, but she was doing everything. And then I helped out on some negotiations and that type of thing. And, but for the most part, you know, just there's a, enough to do with the 400 agents and the three offices and selling is a full-time gig. So if I can refer it out, then I'm happy to do it. Do you miss the sales? Someone asked me that the other day, like this deal, the negotiation part, the pricing of it, this was one that was outside of park cities, but a house that they had put a little bit of money into bought it in the low sevens. And, you know, I told them I thought it was worth 850. They had a new house in park cities under contract. And, you know, that kind of contingent upon the sale, 
you know, they'll love the house. And, you know, a day before we were going to get it out there, I was kind of panicked, like, hey, I think we're overpricing it. You know, let's go to 825 and everything else. And I said, let's just get the word out there. And if it's not under contract in four days, we know that we overpriced. And so, you know, first day we got two contracts for list price, both cash, both quick closes. And so I joked and, you know, he's a good friend of mine. I said, you know, since you were about to throw $20,000 out the table, I'll let you buy me dinner when this thing goes. <laughs> but that's, that's funny. It, this market, I would think, especially the Park Cities area, it's like that's the expectation is I want it on the market and sold in four days. I have a good friend of mine who's moving to Chicago in June. He was stressed out about selling his house because he's dealing with reload companies, so there's a lot of moving parts. And I told him, I said, if you hire the right agent, you will not have a problem. Your problem will be finding a place to rent while you're waiting till June. The house went on the market on Saturday, and they had three contracts by the end of the day. This market is just so, it's crazy. Yeah, and it's funny because someone says, well, it took us 30 days to sell it, and that's almost like you failed on right. it. Like, <laughs> well, they want it done in, right. in two, done right? In two days. And, yeah. You know, if it's the house look has the look and it's priced right, it can go quickly. There's no question about that. All right, we are going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Title Talk. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a five-star rating. And also be sure to subscribe on all major platforms, iTunes, Spotify, and more.